As is our habit, we will uh, have a few announcements. This is a weird Bible. It seems to be is backwards. That a is that yeah, a it, is. it is Peter's Takoon. Yes. Very nice Takoon. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> By the um, way, tonight the quail begins to show up, and tomorrow the manna shows up. So it's according to tradition. Exactly right. It's about time. May I make an announcement? Only if you stand. Ah, Announcements, announcements. I have sent an email to everybody I think in this group. I don't think I have you guys on my list. But I think everybody else has gotten an email, and I don't know that everybody's received them or they're not being read or what. But May 12th, Carmel Baptist Church, 2.30 to 4.30, you're all invited for a reception for Caitlin and Jeremiah. And there is also a celebration for Jeremiah's second lieutenant commission so which is going to happen on may 10th so just want everybody to let you know if you haven't read it seen it check your email check your trash check your spam it please, be there. please men wear a keeper so i won't be the only one <laughs> we'll um strings tucked yet untucked either way you're comfortable strings out man. strings out man it's strings out strings out is Jeremiah going to be in full He is going to be in uniform for the wedding and the reception. Oh, yes. <laughs> Although he will not have to change uniforms because yeah. one is before the commission. The wedding will be his RTCU uniform. The, the reception will be his colonel. second lieutenant uniform. Yeah. Colonel for a wedding and colonel. a second lieutenant. And, and for those <laughs> who may not know and maybe noobs, all uniforms are full. You can't wear a <laughs> right. the, the question is full dress. Full right. dress. Right. Exactly. Versus I guess I had a right Otherwise, it's not a uniform. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. He does like not have mess dress yet, so he simply can't wear mess dress. I got married in mess dress. Oh. But we'll be the one carrying the guns. Right? I'm sorry? But, but we'll be the ones carrying the guns. We'll just be in the uniform. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Nice. We'll have the. This is the best. It'll be the best defending. That's right. <laughs> There's nobody coming in here to mess. Most well defended wedding this Saturday. All right. Um, Atlantic. This is uh, portion amor, which means. Say. Say. Speak. And today is the 32nd day of the Omer. Tomorrow, 33rd. Um, tonight, tonight the sundown. Log fire. Five fires at our house. Log by Omer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Log kicked out of the neighborhood. Log by Omer is traditionally understood um, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I'm going to do now. Traditionally, a time when Jews will cut their hair during the Omer time because they don't normally do that. It's also a time when Jews traditionally get married. Um, cut your hair. Do I say that? I said yeah, that. Um, and so it's kind of like a um, the counting of the Omer. It's like a little bit of a uh, mini celebration on the way to Shavuot. It's a rest. It's a. And log by Omer is not actually log as in like the uh, large piece of wood. It's like the it's in reference to the fact that it's the thirty third day, which is Lamed and Gimel are the number equivalent of that. So. Exactly right. Thank you, Joshua. Would you turn in your Bible, please, <clears throat> to Luke chapter 10. Plain Foundation had us in Luke chapter 14, but we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 10. I was telling someone this morning, plainfoundation.org was introduced to me by uh, Rav Ufam, Greg Upham, uh, 
otherwise known as the, the Rav. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, First Fruits of Zion publishes a reading calendar for the Apostolic Scriptures that actually only includes the Gospels, hmm. and they go through them chronologically along with the Torah cycle. And oftentimes, what you're reading in the Apostolic Scriptures has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the Torah cycle. Um, Flame Foundation tries to pick the scripture references that will have an application. I just think they picked poorly this week. I agree. But you know, you can't hit it out of the park every time, otherwise people expect it. Maybe we should help our own. You could Ooh, make it the Bella Torah meeting site. <laughs> Luke chapter ten and verse twenty nine, but he desiring to justify himself said to Yeshua, and who is my neighbor? Luke chapter ten and verse twenty nine. Who is my neighbor? Yeshua replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. He had no handgun on him, and was stripped, beaten, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now, he then dialed 911. I really could go on with this, but I won't. Okay. Please do. Now, by chance, a Kohen, a priest, was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was what they did back then. It wasn't Tylenol. And, uh, yeah, that's right. Then he set him on his, on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said the one who showed him mercy. And Yeshua said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, first of all, was this story intended to tell us about a good Samaritan? No. 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 It's not. And if you think that this is the story of the good Samaritan, then you have been fooled by what are the titles or subtitles of each paragraph. How many of you in your English Bibles have Good Samaritan right above this story? Right? Yeah, okay. It's your bold. Of course you do. It's in bold, so it must be true. Yeah. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Exactly right. Okay. So, um, you're all familiar with the normal, traditional discourse on this that we would hear in the church, right? Those terrible Jewish men. Priests, yeah. <laughs> Further, priests, were priests. They're hypocrites, Levites. Most Christians don't realize those are Jews. <laughs> I know, it's sad, but true. So, it's two Jewish guys go by, and then a Samaritan. They're really good people. And they're the people we should live like. That's really what I've heard from the pulpit. So, let's just take a look and see if we can determine 
what the master was trying to teach. What was the question that led him to tell this story? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now that's an easy question compared to another question, for example, like who is a Jew? That's a tough question. Who is my neighbor? Piece of cake. So before we get into it, you've got four players in this story. Who's the first player? The man. The man. Tell me about what we learn about this man. Is that actually the New Testament? Unarmed. That is the smallest print I've ever seen. That's amazing. Every time to be three or four miles away. Because she has perfect eyes. She does have perfect eyes. I have perfect eyes too, but not that close. <laughs> He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Ah, so we learn of his travels. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, everything else that we may learn is speculation from this point forward. But if you knew that there was a certain man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho right now, today, I think you could make a couple of assumptions. What assumption would you make? Maybe He's observant. You would make... You jump way ahead. He's, it's like him. <laughs> Sorry. He's leaving a festival. That's good. That's right before... He's observing. So give me something just wildly speculative that doesn't have to do with where I want to go. He's not a Samaritan. He doesn't believe Yeshua got raised from the dead. <laughs> he lives in Jericho. <laughs> he lives in Jericho. That's a good that's a good that that yeah. okay. He could be a businessman who okay. just Thank you. a business trip. He could be a businessman who's moving from one city, you know, moving from one city to another to do business. He's in the land of Israel. See, just real Jewish. Jewish. Wildly okay, wild. Okay, well, I don't want wildly speculative. How about, how about completely not speculative? I can definitively say that he's going downhill. He is going downhill because Jerusalem is up high. Sure. Okay. So now, then the things that we would imply are certainly what these two men have said. Certainly, when you're leaving Jerusalem, heading to Jericho. Leaving Jerusalem almost implies biblically that a festival has just ended and you're going home. It also implies you are not Samaritan because the Samaritans believed you didn't worship in Jerusalem. That's exactly right. Rare to find a Samaritan in Jerusalem. I think we can also say that the fact that he's leaving from a festival, against speculation, does indicate that the man is probably observant. And there's the, one of the little plays here is some we see when, in John chapter four when Yeshua goes through Samaria, there's a there's a they're shocked. There's a play that's going on because if you're going if you live in Galilee, you don't go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. You go down the Jordan Valley through Jericho to go up there. So we see that same play being here. This man may very likely have been from. The Galilee, and, and he didn't go through home. Samaria. Exactly. Samaria, he's exactly. going through Jericho. Exactly, and that plays into the rest of the story. In that, oddly enough, it's a Samaritan who helps this guy. Okay, so since the Jerusalem-Jericho route may have been that which was used by observant Jews who did not want to go to the land of Samaria, we can make some speculative understandings about this. Now let's talk about the next player. Who's the next player in the story? A priest. He's a priest. Now, did he get elected to this job? No. He was born into this job. He's got no choice. He's a priest. Okay. 
I'm sure the Torah says something about the rules regarding priests. In fact, in our portion this week, we pick up some things that it says. So if you would, keep your thumb in Luke, and let's go back, of course, to the portion, Vayikra, chapter 21, in verse 1. Because we're not only going to learn about some things about the priests, but we can recognize that this portion is actually directed in its beginning to the priesthood itself. 21.1, Adonai said to Moshe, say to the Kohanim, say to the priests the sons of Aaron, and tell them, each of you shall not contaminate himself to a dead person among his people, except for a short list. The relative who is closest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and his virgin sister who is close to him, who has not been wed to a man, to her shall he contaminate himself. So the close family, yes, everybody else is a big no-no. Now, how many of you believe that when God says do this or don't do that, we should take note and it's important? I just want to make the point. So we think it's important. I knew that man. Who's the man? Yes. What's his name? It's David Nixon. David Nixon. David Nixon. Hey, come on in, David. Mm. Hello. Shalom, David. There you go. Oh, perfect. Wait, hi. Thank you. Good see to you see you. Judah, David, is it okay if you go? Yeah, sure. Judah's outside here. This way, right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Just jump over. And Benjamin. And Benjamin. Oh. Benjamin. Oh. Hey. Missed him, right? Yeah, she was. She made it up hours ago. What? For those who don't know, this is a great friend of mine, David Nixon. Welcome, yeah. David. That's on tape, and uh, you can send David uh, your greetings from afar. You have to cut that part. David, you're almost well. Thank you very much. It's good to see you. Let's talk about the goods. All right, so we are uh, we have our thumbs in Leviticus. Uh, we have our thumbs in Luke chapter ten, and we are actually in this week's portion and more in Leviticus chapter twenty-one. So, my my last question was that or confirmation that you believe that when God says do this, we should do it, and when He says don't do this, we should do everything possible not to do it. Right. Give me an example in your own life this past week. There is no right or wrong answer. I, I'm sorry. Sure Give me an example from this week where you kept a commandment of God. That is, you did something God said to do, or you didn't do something God said you should not do. I got one hand. On Thursday night, I got you. I was really okay. comfortable. Thursday night, really comfortable. Bed. Uh-huh. And I forgot to count the Omer. Oops. Ooh. I didn't have it memorized. No, wait, let me, now let me, let me see if I get this now. Counting the Omer seems like a completely nonsensical, who cares kind of thing. But God said, you shall do this. You shall count every day until you get to 49, and the next day is Shavuot or Pentecost. And you take that seriously. 
apparently not serious yeah. enough. <laughs> so Thursday night, you got real comfortable in bed, realized you hadn't done it. What'd you do? The, the Sador was literally on the other side of the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Other side of the room. Are, are you saying it was up. across the sea and you couldn't get to it? Oh, no. oh, a little, little Toro reference oh. back in Deuteronomy. <laughs> it seemed really far away away. Yes. And, and when I got up, it was farther. Because that was, you know when you get, the covers are in a little tight. So you did read it. You did, so you did get up. You got the sitter. Oh, wow. And you, did, and you didn't just wing it and say it's... No, I had to turn on the light. 31. You actually did, you did the traditional blessing of God for the count. Oh. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's impressive. Sounds better than it is. No, no. No, I think it's That's really good. Oh, yeah. Rebecca. I did not eat pepperoni pizza at the school. God bless if you think about it, it is a lot of self-restraint. That's right. I have one here. Oh, actually, it was counting the armor, so that one's done. Good, so you um, did that, but you, you too. Yes. Remember to count the armor. I had... I did that six times. Is that count? <laughs> All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take him in a row. Go. I'm sure most people can... I can't hear you. What? I, I'm sure most of the men can also relate to this, but when you get real busy with work or something in the morning, but then you have to stop and wrap to fill in yes. and pray... It's uh, it's tough to it's do costly. in certain cases, but it's, it's necessary. <laughs> I find there's only certain times of the year where I can actually work before the prayers, but I know what you mean. Yes, indeed. Friday night, I had just left work, and I received an email um, from a coworker of mine asking me to call them immediately. Mm. Um, I emailed it back, and I was like, I can't, you can't have this hour-long phone call. It's the Shabbat. Good for you. Nice. Nice. You chose not to to labor on his sound. We stand among giants. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh, everybody will <laughs> nail you. Yeah. I, uh, I pretty much refused when I think I was being nudged to pray for the bomber and this Boston Marathon thing. Okay. I'm having a problem with things like that. Okay. All right. I don't know. If I can tie it immediately back to a commandment, okay. but good. So you're making distinctions. I like that. No, I was more or less the same thing. I was able to pray for people that pray for those who persecute you. Yes. Pray for those who just drive you crazy. Yes. And that's. And I know, working for me, there's a lot of those people. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me. Okay. Um, you didn't pray for it. That means you were good. That's good. Right. I would actually have to say the same thing. Pray for those who. Uh, have tried to do me wrong in the workplace mm-hmm. with all the politics and mm-hmm. everything yeah. and yeah. you know finding out that therapists can really be tough ropes <laughs> surprise surprise <laughs> therapists who need therapists <laughs> yeah. anybody else cheap seats I think it's okay. yeah, I'm going I'm to take the email work thing maybe a little step farther is that uh, every morning we get sales numbers and yesterday was the end of the month and yeah. ever since I've been involved with this community. I've never looked at my Saturday emails from my work. God and I wait you. till sunset to look at it. So God bless you. While everybody's communicating email on how great or how bad their numbers are, it's like, I, I'm not even going I do exactly Good the same thing. Yep. Me, too. Yeah. Me too. Good for you. That's excellent. I yes, taught my son when I stood up and when I laid down and when I rose and when I did any opportunity. There we go. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, my son. <laughs> no, I, I ordered a suit 
and then I had to return it because it was woolen linen. Yeah, who's allowed to wear woolen linen? Priests. 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 We're reading about priests. Although there's That's some priests so that are priests. supposed to wear wool in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You don't want to sweat. So, I think what I'm what I'm understanding is that you take God at His word and you want to do what He says. You don't want to do what He says. Don't do. I think that's commendable. So in light of that, the second party in our story from Luke chapter 10 is a priest. Here we have the actual word of God in Leviticus chapter 21 making it very clear that we, if we're priests, should not touch a dead body unless it's a very, very close relative. Does this change your perspective of what the priest did when he went around our first protagonist. Yes. Well, if the man was beaten up as bad as Leviticus 10 suggests, the priest probably thought he was dead. Precisely. And if he was beaten the way it says, he probably wasn't moving and perhaps made that judgment call. I'm not saying he made the right call. I'm just saying, do you now understand why he would... Step around. Okay, that's all. Hold on, and I know it's coming. Hold on. What? <laughs> I was actually thinking about in um, Leviticus 22, a little bit later, where it talks yeah. about not to defile yourself with a creeping thing or with somebody else who is contaminated. Good. So I, I was almost thinking that that could even be a yet a evidence, yeah that sure. maybe he wasn't observant or maybe he it, it was more of like a commoner and you, you're not you're never really sure if they're contaminated sure. or not okay. not whether Possible. he's dead possible yeah okay i think he's oozing stuff <laughs> yeah and it could be you know and we've, we've got a little problem there now we got blood and all kind of stuff you know, so. oh. all right now what are you going to do you should hold you sure okay. but <laughs> i i feel like in some respects yeshua brings this up um, intentionally, of course as a as not simply to give a reason for why the priest goes around, because I think that as they you study, that. as you begin to study Yeshua's like, approach to a lot of the commandments, his thing is the importance of keeping the commandment in the context of all the commandments. And in this case, I think there's a little bit of a critique that he didn't at least try to check a little further to make sure that he was dead. I think you're exactly right about that. We're going there. Just hold it till we get through all our players, and then you guys can drop all the bombshells about what really is being taught. So that's good. <laughs> he was half dead. Half dead? That's almost like half pregnant. Not, not completely. <laughs> half dead. So the third, the third uh, protagonist in our story, the first was the man, the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, who perhaps we've speculated may actually be going around Samaria as was common and heading over to the Galilee. The second being the priest. The third is Levi. 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 No, I, I don't. I don't think I understand the difference here between priest and Levi. Somebody help me. The Levites help whom? The priests in the temple. The Levites help the priests in the temple. Give me two jobs that are helpful that don't have to do with holding a cup. Because they, they hold the cup for the building. Probably making sure uh, 
The lamp's hanging up by the oil. Okay, I think that's more of a priest's job. Well, when they move the tabernacle, they have to help wrap it up. They're schleppers, no question. They schlep. They okay. Guard. They're guards. These are the guys with the weapons. Where was this they guy earlier in the story? To, that's right. That's yeah. where we started, right? They protect the sanctity of the tabernacle and the temple. They are on guard night and day. They are protecting, guarding God's holiness. They're armed singers. And that's the second one, is that they are singers. They sing the Levitical choir. You bet. Okay, so... We've got a Levite. Now, priests are descended from Aaron. So I'm trying to figure out the relationship between priests and Levites. Help me, Julianne. Levites are descended from Levi. Yes. And all priests are Levites, but yes. priests are specifically descended from so Aaron. all priests are Levites, Levites. but not, not all Levites, Levites are priests. Because mm, Levi's yeah. the big guy, and then under Levi we've got Aaron and a bunch of folks. <laughs> and if you're under Aaron, you're a priest. If you're under Levi, you're a Levite. There's we need concentric circles. Concentric circles. Yeah. Concentric circles. Yes. So, nice. so, nice. Okay. so the Levite did pretty much what the priest did. He went around. Hmm. Now. <laughs> We mentioned that the master went through Samaria. What was the reaction, biblically? What was the deal? Sorry, I was thinking. Disbelief. Disbelief. I mean, why would you do that? Shock. Why are they shocked? What's What's up with the Samaritan half breeds? They were no, no, no. It's more serious than that. It is. In fact, it's a lot to begin more with, serious. They're only half Jews. How about Azara? False worship. False and worship. They believe and they are known for false worship. And also, if we go back in history, a ways back, the Samaritans' ancestry were all the creepy people who tried to stop the Jews from building the temple and this tried is, to do everything that they could possibly this do. Is a technical term, creepy people. The right. Creepy people. No, actually, in this in this same generation, they're doing the same thing. They're putting false, false. fires on the mountaintops. The, the signal fires that were used in order to tell somebody. The first of the month is now. They light a signal fire. The guy at the next mountain lights his signal fire. The guy at the next mountain. You know, what do you do for a living? I, I live up here on the top of the mountain. But what do you do? Well, I get paid to light the signal fire. So when I see that guy, I light mine so he sees mine. So he that other his. people will know when the so holidays the are supposed to be. So out know when to celebrate. So that they can do what? Keep the Torah. So the Samaritans are actually lighting false signal fires to try and fake up the guy on the next mountain. So we get everybody to... Practice on the wrong because day. Because the Samaritans also would have their own thing. Dead animals and throw them over the wall to contaminate people. It's nasty. Ugh, Basically, people. the Samaritans, for all intents and purposes, are kind of a cultish, quasi offshoot of Judaism that has that has taken some of the things in Judaism that were good. But then reapply them to their own expression. This reminds me of that's the Catholic why Church. Sounds like the Catholic Church, doesn't it? going to say the Catholics. I wasn't going to say the Catholics. I was going to say the Catholic Church. But now we got the Pope there. Where to keep up? Now, every morning when I'm praying, at some point, I touch, I touch, I kiss. Well, that's almost like that. <laughs> we genuflect. That's it, you know. In fact, today, actually, believe it or not, the Samaritans do exist to this day. Um, and one of the things that happens every year around Pesach time is that they go up on the mountain where they believe they're supposed to worship God, not Jerusalem. Right. And they offer the Passover offering in direct contravention to the explicit command that you should only do that 
where God placed his name. Exactly. So right. to this day, they're making false offerings. Right, so there's a little rub here. All right, so why do you suppose, based on the whole Samaritan angst going on in that day, why do you suppose the master tells this story? You got a priest that goes around, you got a Levite that goes around, Samaritan shows up and cares for the man. What's his point? Remember the question that was asked, who's my neighbor? What's the master saying? What's he trying to teach? Can we go back a question before that? You can. Because this is a certain lawyer. Yes, it is. So this is someone, no, that's not. <laughs> who was, Different kind of lawyer. Who knew the law, who knew the requirements, who knew the regulations, yes. who was well-versed in all that understanding. His first question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. And then the Messiah comes back and says, you shall love the Lord your God. And then came the neighbor question. And so his original intent was, how much do I have to do to get to live with you forever? What's the lowest bar? All right. Good. Do it. <laughs> so, I, do, do you know I, what my role is here? I have a golf tee. Amen. I put the, <laughs> I put the golf ball up. I make sure it's all set. Step back. And I got a couple masters on the course to come up and just are going to watch this. This is Fairway Green Company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what's on. Pressure's on now. I got it. Yeah, thank you. So, <laughs> I'm trying to work these metaphors for you. <laughs> so the connection to the, the portion is, is, I think, key to understanding what thoughts may have occurred to the Kohen in particular. Exactly. Okay? Uh, but but at least my current understanding is we can't give them a pass. Oh, absolutely not. Because there was, we all know there has, from the beginning, always been a concept of the sanctity of life. Exactly. Life mm-hmm. always trumps always. the commandment. That's okay. why the, the concept of a neighbor is so important. Because it's somebody who's living with you. They're close by. And it should regulate how you live. So there was halakha around this type of situation, which, to Janet's point, this attorney, this this legal scholar, would have almost certainly been aware of, right? oh, sure. uh, which is why he answered the question correctly, because the halakha was a kohen if he comes upon a dead person uh, and there's nobody else around, he has to watch over and guard that body until somebody else can come. In other words, he has to defile himself if there's nobody else there. Now, if he was walking along with his buddy and they see him, Buddy, you gotta go take care of that. I can't. This is I can't assuming a non Kohenine right, buddy. Right. His non priest buddy. Right? Because mm-hmm. they would have those NPB. He he would then he would have a buy because he cannot he cannot defile himself. And, and should not he, and should not if he can help it. Exactly. But when he but the halakha that was understood is if the Kohen, including the high priest, came upon a dead body and there was nobody else around that could render help. 
he is obligated to to do what needs to be done. How many of you have been to Israel and have driven or been in a bus from Jerusalem down to Jericho? Or in that area. You know it's a hairy ride and you're in the middle of nowhere and it is known that this is where the banditos are. Strap on the Glock, rack that bad boy, and get ready. <laughs> this guy had no Glock. Oh, not even a dagger, apparently. Not even a dagger, yeah. Either that or his Cogma Gras was a little rusty, yeah. right? Okay. Well, that was an adventure later. Yeah. I think, though, that um, one of the things that's really neat about this story um, is the way that Yeshua extrapolates the concept of neighbor. Because in Judaism, there is the concept of the extreme. What you'll see in the, in the, in the, if you've ever read um, elements of the Talmud, you'll find these ridiculous scenarios. You're thinking to yourself, why is he even asking this question? The odds of this ever happening in your lifetime are slim to none. And that's not the point. But the, the reason is because they said, if it goes this far, if this would happen, then you can fill in all the blanks up until that point. So it's like, uh, and like in, his, in, in Mr. Upham's description of if you're walking by yourself and there's a dead guy in the middle of nowhere, there's nobody else around you. It's like a very extreme scenario. But it's like, well, in that case, you should do this. So then you like fill in the blanks from that point in. And it's like, okay, well, if it's not that extreme, then I shouldn't do this if you're the priest, right? But for Yeshua's trying to do is he's trying to make an extreme. So he has a guy who doesn't like the Samaritans, understandably so. He picks the bad guy at the time, the Samaritan, has the Samaritan help this man in this time of need. So you've basically got, you know... The opposites. The opposites assisting each other. Exactly. This would be like a, a, a rabbi today helping a severely wounded um, Muslim terrorist after he you know, blew somebody up trying to keep him from dying, which, by the way, I think no. things like that do happen. So I, I like think you're pushing that. Helping but, okay, maybe that but the point being is that He's trying, this is, this is people in opposite extremes. Yes. So Yeshua says, who's the neighbor? Exactly. In other words, if the Samaritan, mm -hmm. who's like, the dude you want to keep as far away from as possible, is your neighbor, how much more so is everybody else closer than that? Okay. He touched on it, though, but that's, it's not, it's not about the Samaritan. It's not about the Samaritan. I don't Samaritan. think it has anything to do with the Samaritan. The Samaritan's the neighbor. Right. And that's why I don't think it extends to, like, as Joshua described, because the neighbor is one of Israel. The his point was the Samaritan is Jewish. He's one of Israel. Hmm. Not the wounded guy's your neighbor. It's not about the it's not about the wound it's not about the wounded guys being the neighbor. It's who's the neighbor? And the question's never answered in the traditional view of the good Samaritans, who's the neighbor? That's what he says. Who's my neighbor? And Yeshua's answer is, okay, who's the neighbor? The Samaritan's the neighbor. Yeah. If, if your assumption is that the seemingly dead guy is the neighbor, that'll work, and you'll come to a conclusion that I think you should understand what the three things are that we would violate Shabbat for, which is top shelf. So we're going to get to that in a second. If you see the Samaritan as being the neighbor and demonstrating the type of love that we should be demonstrating, then you can come to the same conclusion. Because it doesn't matter who the person is. Even if they're a Samaritan, it's a neighbor and we should be stepping up. Life is important. Bringing in the Samaritan as the neighbor is very cool. 
very Spurlockian, I might add. No, I was just Oh, yes, sir. So, yes, sir. And I was just going to follow up with Mr. Upper's point about the sanctity of life is a commandment that's not only something that priests recognize, but anybody that would be um, mindful of the Torah. And I think it's cool that the answer given is general. It's not like, because it seems like Yeshua is a bit specific when he's like, which of these? You know, he could have said the Samaritan, or he could have said, you know, the Levite. But he just says the one who showed mercy, as if to sort of say, generally speaking, that commandment applies That's right. to everybody. Exactly right. And then he's told, you go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very generic, and it works. I like it. Um, for what? Or what are the three things that we would not violate Shabbat for? Idolatry. Idol worship. Idol worship or idolatry. What are the three things we cannot do? Okay. Well, the, 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 the three things you can't... Hang on, wait, wait. Murder. It's three not violate Shabbat, it's right. saving three a life. Three things you can't, we won't do ever. For saving a life. For saving a life. Anything. Idolatry. Murder. Murder. Immorality. Sexual immorality. Those are the three... Absolutely no excuse for it. Life trumps everything but those. In fact, today, the only vehicles you will see driving, because Jews feel like driving is a violation of Shabbat, the only vehicles you will see driving on Yom Kippur are emergency vehicles. That's right. Or, unless, as long as you're in Jerusalem. Police. Yeah. Yeah. So does that determine, whatever, matter what the definition of murder is? Because murder is not just killing. Murder is... Unjustified killing. Yeah, it's right? murder. But I mean, like, you could kill. You just can't. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> was this the attorney speaking? This is an attorney. Uh, uh, it's murder. Sorry, yes. murder like I'm sorry, murder. counselor. What was the question? <laughs> Self defense. Murder does not include any kind of killing. It's no. just murder. Correct. Right. It, like, for I, example, I would, let's rephrase it to homicide. Okay. Or I mean, if you think about, like, here, here's an example. Um, it's if, if you've ever. Mm, in media today, sometimes they present, you know, the, the lifeboat scenario. So it's like, okay, someone's life is at stake, and the bad guy's holding them captive, and they're like, okay, well, we'll only, we will kill your beloved so-and-so if you don't go and assassinate this innocent person for us. She's that would be an example where you're going to have to say, she's gonna I love you, babe. I'm sorry. See you, bye. Because you can't go kill a, an innocent person to save somebody else's life. That's, I think a, 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 that's a good example. It's a good example. Another example that's actually happened is, as we're reading about our sages, we had four of the finest sages ever to walk the planet run, uh, uh, were dispersed, and they're coming back. One of them is on a boat, and he's, he's a captive on a boat. And his wife is with him, and I believe his child, one child, I think, and they are going to uh, make sport with his wife. And they're tied, they're bound. And they're going to make sport with his wife. And the wife knew that her husband could not do anything to prevent it. Not just physically, he just couldn't do it. And she tossed herself overboard and drowned in order to avoid sexual immorality. An amazing story. And uh, we have some some of the most phenomenal synagogues and Jewish communities that come from this man, his son, and so forth, but different story. Same kind of deal. Sexual immorality, murder, and uh, idolatry. Idolatry. Okay. Back to our portion, Leviticus chapter 21. 
I, I thought that throwing children into the fire of Molech and stuff like that was really some of the most despicable, terrible things. Throwing your, your children through the fire. I was under the impression that the only righteous killings that were done in the Torah were by stoning. Hmm. You would take someone out to be stoned. I think we happened across the only one that's not. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry. This is absolutely shocking. In According verse 8, tradition, there's a few other execution meets. Uh, 9, if the daughter of a Cohen will be desecrated through adultery, she desecrates her father. She shall be consumed by fire. How do you feel about that? It reminds me of Tamar. Ooh. So, and that's exactly so, what they were going to do. Let her be burned. Yeah, so, which I thought was weird. So Yehuda, Yehuda in you know, 500 years well, maybe not five. Well, if, if, this is, 300 if, this years Mount, if this is Mount Sinai, you know, Judah and Tamar are over here. You know, they're they're before Mount Sinai. Yeah, somewhere like 300 years earlier, at least, that Judah is keeping, apparently attempting, too bad he didn't read all of it, but <laughs> attempting to keep at least part of right. that same yeah. commandment. It, it's, it's interesting, and it should cause your eyebrows to go up. They find out she's with child. They tell him, and he's like, she should be burned. I would have thought, we need to take her out and stone her. But he didn't say that. Any of the Torah says she should be burned. What do you think about that? She wasn't the daughter of a Cohen. She wasn't the daughter of a Cohen. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Although the tradition holds that she, she was, was the daughter of a priest. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, what? Yeah, well, that's cool. The way they Look, figure those it, things out. But, they but, love you, need, milk but you need to understand. That's what the sages from. came up with a weird way to make that work. Why are they doing it? She's from They're trying to make it work with the Torah. Okay, because of course our our fathers are, are supposed to have walked um, the straight line at all times. Okay. It's interesting that the uh, the folks that don't think we should be keeping the Torah never hit us up with this one. Because I think this one's out of the park. You tell your, your relatives, your family members that you're keeping the Torah and the derision that comes we've all experienced and is normal. And, you know, are you going to be doing a sacrifice in the backyard now? Right. We're having a stoning sacrifice. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, no, we're not. But I thought you are keeping the Torah. Well, we're keeping the Torah by not doing that because if we did that, we'd be breaking the Torah and we don't want to break the Torah because that's what we do. We don't break the Torah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to do it. <laughs> but you probably didn't realize that was breaking the Torah, so... That's right. So you here, get a buy. You just need to read more. <laughs> But <laughs> and, and, you know, right after that, what comes up after after making sacrifices? Stone your children. children. Right. Stone your children. Right. I actually think that'd be a great idea for everybody. <laughs> how many people did we have to stone for breaking the Sabbath before we all started keeping the Sabbath? Just one. One guy. We killed one relative. That was it. We were all like, break the Sabbath? Are you nuts? No, no, no. no. I remember Uncle Shmuley. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, there is only one incident recorded in the Talmud of that commandment being carried out. Of of burning burning? the priest's daughter. Only happened once, or at least, so there's only one incident. So like keeping Shabbat, it only takes one. (laughs) Or like blaspheming the name as we get to the end of this one. That's right. We're going to get to that one. Or or offering to give uh, 100% of a sale of something and then to withhold it. Yeah. It only has to happen once. One time. And they all fear. 
is throughout the community. And I think it's really important in these references that we're saying the one time, one time. By the way, this children stoning thing, no recorded incidents, zero, never happened. So, but the threat is always a good yeah. thing. <laughs> See, that's the point, though, is that God, is, as being a wise father, he has a very strict form of discipline. Yes. If you break the commandments, really bad things happen. But God is also merciful. So the threshold of evidence and the threshold of the type of sin that you have to commit has to be so egregious, so public, so obvious that it merits that strict penalty. So it's enough, the penalty, the threat of the penalty is enough to scare the, well, scare the pants on you, as this case may be. That's exactly um, right. But then the... Uh, and keep it above the, the <laughs> <laughs> but, but the rest of the time, the, um, the idea is that you don't, it's not a willy-nilly, oh, I, you know, this just killed this guy because he did something. It's more the sense that you've got a strict penalty, but then there's a strict level of, of, of evidence beneath it. So you only do it in extremely extreme circumstances. In fact, God's uh, use of capital punishment for murder, the evidence threshold, is actually higher Way than high. the U.S. government. Way higher. Considerably higher. We've executed people based on circumstantial evidence only. Fingerprints even. Don't count. I then later found out, 20 years later, that guy was innocent. <laughs> yes. Don't don't ding the death penalty too bad. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm saying the death penalty is good. But God's standard, in other words, people would look at God and say, oh, he's so, this is the cruel God in the no, Old right, Testament. Right. As opposed God's, to the God of grace in the absolute. God's standard is actually more merciful than anything that is practiced today. Amen. Agree. Joseph. Yes, sir. Uh, that word prostitute, what is that word in Hebrew? I don't know. Which verse? Which verse? The guys behind me, we'll find it before Nine. we turn around. Watch this. 21. What's the uh, Hebrew word? <laughs> slow. Too slow. That's it. Sword drills. Next week. Which one? Which verse is it in? 21. Nine. 21. Nine. Mine doesn't use the word prostitute. This is harlot. Desecrated through adultery. Right. Well, that. And it is. Is it, is it a woman who is a prostitute for money, or is it a daughter that just? No, it's, it, that's why my version has well, this is, adultery. Uh, this one though is zonot, which a zona is a harlot. Right. It's it is a different word than prostitute. But well, no. But well, is it that different? Though I'm saying zona is the word for harlot, and this is lezonot. Say yeah, actually. This, this, this conversation came up around our table last night. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a prostitute. I will concede. So it's just a daughter who makes herself unclean by her. Through adultery. It's, adultery. it's a defiled. Adultery or just sexual adultery. Sex with somebody that is anything, no. from, anything from last week's portion. Yeah. Chapter 18. <laughs> <laughs> Any of those forbidden relationships. Would result in some in in it would make a young woman or whoever is or not right that they would be considered uh, defiled. <clears throat> so in the broad category in, in the English is usually translated as harlotry, which harlotry for us typically means you know a you know prostitution, but it's a broader connotation scripturally. Yeah, back even earlier in our country, harlot did not mean prostitute. Right, prostitute was definitely a profession. Right. Harlotry was a habit. Right. Bad one at that. But, of course, the standard, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, the standard on this, with most sins, is you had to have two, well, all sins, you had to have two witnesses. Yeah, I got you. So if someone's committing harlotry in a way that you have two witnesses, that's pretty brazen. That's true. All right, let's move from the harlotry. 
Now let's talk about uh, verse uh, 16 and, uh, and further. Don't you think it's interesting that we all know that the Passover lamb and, in fact, all of the offerings, the animal offerings, needed to be without spot or blemish. That's important. But here, there's something else. The man who's offering it needs to be the same way. You know, there'll be um, a man of your offspring throughout their generations in whom there will be a blemish shall not come near to offer the fruit of his God. For any man in whom there is a blemish shall not approach. It's interesting. Sort of a continuity of the offering, the offerer, and the God to whom you're offering by the offerer. Which is... Okay. Too controversial. controversial. We love the controversial stuff. Okay, so um, I'm I'm slipping through here. I was looking for one that I haven't gotten up to yet. In regard to the those things, I was kind of thinking. It seems very merciful of God to make that standard that high, so as not to run into a situation where somebody's handicap in that case would have caused them to slip up while they were doing the offering. Almost kind of like the wine thing where it's like you, you can't drink wine when you go in there just in case right. you drink too much and something happens. You know, yeah. and it was, it, it's, it's a help, of, not a hindrance. That's yeah, exactly. Good. I like it. And also, um, I don't see it as like some sort of weird prejudice. That's not the reason behind no. it. Um, and I think yeah, that it would be, that's, I would fear that some people would read it and assume that. Um, I think the link between the priesthood and the offerings Absolutely. is important. The offer and the offering. So it's the, it is the idea that God is distinctly holy and things that are not by any means wrong or bad, but have merely um, act as a reminder that we are in a fallen world are things that cannot be quite that close to God. And and it's important in those places, for example, they can eat the holy things, these okay. same uh, priests, but they can't be part of the actual offering itself. And now and, and I think about like uh, the the contamination a woman experiences when she gives birth. Obviously this is a wonderful thing, it's not right. a bad thing. Right. But in giving birth she has gone through the pain and the curse of Eve. And can no longer approach. And there has been a, a contamination mm-hmm. of being in a fallen world. Right. So for a period of time, mm-hmm. she has to be separate. Uh, yeah, we actually had some conversation last night. Almost. You're not going to talk about the monobrow, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had some conversation about this last night as well. And a couple thought with really good thoughts that, that came out of it. But one is that, yes, um, the a priest with a defect that's I mean one of the defects described here was prohibited from from bringing the offering um, but there was plenty of other things that they were uh, certainly permitted and, and would have been responsible for doing so it's not like you know they're just totally on the sidelines right, right? Exactly. Um, and, and it, so it has nothing to do with the value of the person um some people would look at that and say... If, if it had to do with the value of the person, then every non-priest is already in trouble. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that because I'm not a priest, I can't. I'm, I'm less valued? You can't. Of course. You can't do, you know, 
what we're doing is putting a few of the priests in the category with the rest of us. Right. Right. It's not like you're. Well, he's still he's still in a different category. Oh, but no, no question, he's a different and he's inside their court right. while I'm. Right. I'm, can, I'm out in the cheap seats. Right. He can see still eat the holy. So. That's right. So, um, so some people would read this and say, well, isn't that kind of unfair? If someone was born with a defect, it's not their fault. You know, and a couple of things that we talked about last night, and, and you guys can chime in if I missed something, but um, one of the things to, to keep in mind is that, yes, the, the coin with a defect is precluded from certain activity. But the flip side of that is... Uh, the the for example the Kohen Hagadol, you know a Kohen can only attend the funeral of a close relative. The Kohen Hagadol can't even do that. That's right. Right. So there were things, there were <coughs> restrictions and things that the Kohen Hagadol couldn't do. Right. Um, wasn't permitted was because the, the level of sanctity matters. It's That's important. Right. That's you exactly know? Right. And so there's so that there's that notion. The other the other idea here is well why would we, why we got to have a problem with that? Um, you know if somebody was born with a defect, surely I mean you know God was involved in that person's creation, and you know why would he have a problem with that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Part of the idea that here is the temple, the tabernacle, and the dwelling presence of God and all the activities going in, going on inside the tabernacle were told in the Apostolic Writings were a shadow of the real thing in, 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 in Hashemayim. So, so we know that in, you know, we know that in the world to come, there is no defect, there is no sickness, there is no disease, Everything will be complete and whole. So I think one of the things that's being conveyed here is: look, this this is kind of a this is a shadow. This is a rehearsal for the real thing that's that's, gonna, that's coming to us exactly. someday. So because of God's uh, holiness and, and and sanctity, everything that goes on in the earthly temple and tabernacle. Has to be done with complete wholeness, as a as as really a picture and a microcosm of all of that. Would would you not say, if you don't know why God put this restriction, then you don't know why Moses couldn't go into the Promised Land? It's a, it's the same deal. If you don't understand that, you don't understand this. If you don't understand this, you can't possibly understand that because they are the same. We have pictures that are so important, and God does not want us to mess them up. I get you, then I get you. Yes, sir. I was just going to make a comment. So what it sounds like is that even though there's this restriction on people who have a defect or a handicap or something like that, there is still provision for them. Because I'll be honest, when I read this portion and I'm like reading it, I'm like, What? You know, because yeah, it really first it jumped out at me, yeah. and so I'm thinking, well, if I would have been a Cohen, I wouldn't have been able to take part in that because of my yeah. limitation. But to Greg's point, it's not like you'd no longer be a priest, right? Oh, sorry, Ryan, look at the arm, bud. No, it's like no one would have to tell you. You you just start picking up some of the other duties because. They're not all doing the same thing. There's 4,000 jobs that need to be done. Grab one. You know, forget the arm. 
Yeah. What about the guy with the eyebrows? Come on. <laughs> I'm looking around to see. I'm looking for the mono I brow. Shave you know? mine That's I shaved mine. I'm thinking, holy cow, sweetie, I'm on duty tomorrow. Can you do something? <laughs> fix also, it. There's also another way to look at that, right? There's the there's the you know the glass is half empty approach, which is look at the stuff I can't do. Exactly. But the glass half full approach is to say, I am going to protect the sanctity Amen. of God. And this place, mm-hmm. and so this is his requirement. It's it. It is what it is. He's a holy God. He's a just God. Yes. It is my. I'm going to take pride and Amen. honor in, right. in maintaining the sanctity. I've got an even better way to look at it. God may have caused my arm to be shorter. He may have caused my eyebrows to be abnormally <laughs> But it's God who allowed that. But the same God who allowed that is the same one who made me a priest. From the foundation of the world, he determined that I would be a priest. To me, if you're going to accept the fact that he made you a priest, accept the fact that you've got some funky eyebrows. Your father's first. The, uh, it's, it, it, it really... In, in this day and age, we oftentimes think of our individual liberties and our individual uh, rights or whatever else. And what this is, is reminding us of, is, as Greg pointed out, is that there's a community responsibility as well. And protecting the sanctity of the tabernacle yeah. and the temple was on everybody's mind. That's right. And it, we, we have the same thing being played out today. You know, we have handicapped parking. We have, we have things that we make provision for those of us that can't get around as easy or whatever else. But there are certain times when we say, no, no, but that doesn't apply here. An example is my job. I promise if I went in six months from now or three months from now for my six-month physical and somehow there's a physical defect in me, the government's going to make sure I don't carry the public anymore in my airplane. That's right. right. And everybody would agree with that. Go, well, duh. But they wouldn't necessarily, when they when it talks about their own individual freedoms or That's rights, right. they wouldn't say that. That's right. So we're talking about the community provision of protecting the tabernacle. Uh, if we take the concept of physical safety that you've just brought up, and we recognize that when the sanctity of his name is about to be damaged, that's physical safety is a big deal. He kills people for that. Hey, that's the wrong kind of incest. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> Literally. Literally. That's a different religion. I knew you were thinking that. Wait, I just cursed in Hindi. But going back, going back to Mr. Upham's point, that is, I think, really kind of cool. Judaism sees fulfillment of mitzvot as a blessing. Amen. It is not an encumbrance. It's not a restriction. It's God gave me a task to do. He specific. It's like little children. I think understand this so much better than the rest of us. If you pull a little child aside and say, you know, mommy or daddy has something really special for you to do, the little kid isn't going to look at it and go, man, I have to do this. The little kid's going to get all excited, like. What do you want me to do? It's like, I need you to watch your little sister, or I need you to help me with the dishes, or I need you to clean your room, or whatever it might be. For smaller children, it's exciting. You know, Gregory right now has a one-year-old daughter. He says, Sophia, pick up. She picks up her little toys, walks over to a bin, and drops it in, and everyone claps, and she's excited. Because Daddy told me to do something. It's a good thing. This is good. So going back to the illustration here, 
the priest who has a physical defect, you're right, it was God's intentional decision to yes. make him that way. Absolutely. Rather than lament the fact, I can't do these commandments, this person is special. They're one of the only humans on the planet who is allowed to keep this mitzvah. Nobody else... I'm not a priest, so whether I have a defect or not, I can't keep the mitzvah of not offering an offering right. in that situation. Not the Levites who offer the offerings can't keep this either. Only they have the unique God-entrusted provision to be obedient here. That's cool. And I think cool. it's just like anything else. If we really look at the scriptures, you find out. He asks on a regular basis. I'm doing this to see if you'll keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. Is the priest going to show up? He's got a defect? Or is he just going to stay home? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Obedience rather than sacrifice. Exactly. Exactly right. All right, I got a bunch of hands. Sorry. So I'm going to go bump, bump, bump. Oh, Peter's. Actually, Peter's first. He shows usually in <laughs> I take my son, then my daughter. No, I was just thinking of what um, Mr. Upham said about being, things being in the shadow. Yes. Yeah, I think that's in Hebrews. But I was thinking when I, when I read this that. Not a mere shadow. No, not a mere. That's, that's Colossians. That would be mad too. Um, but about, about the sacrifice on the stake, that one. Yeah. And how. That had to be, you know, a spotless sacrifice, but also that the offerer has to be spotless as well, yes. you know, without blemish. And it goes to that question, like, who killed Yeshua? Mm-hmm. And we know from the scripture that God did. So I, I get like that this 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 uh, yes. priest thing sort of foreshadows yeah. that mm-hmm. God is going sure. to be was both the offering and, and the, the offering. right That's so it has to be spotless both ways That's so cool That's pretty cool That was worth waiting Sorry see if you can see if you can No actually that was like really deep I was just going to say something really shallow okay. Give me the shallow baby <laughs> yeah. Come on. Um well I I don't know if looking at this very specific list of the things that aren't allowed. It's not um, a monobrow. It's just extraordinarily long large, eyebrows. large eyebrows. Right. Thing. Well, I mean, it's very, but God's very specific. And um, I don't know if the rabbis take it and extrapolate it into like, well, if anything's wrong, you're going to get near. Right. But I was thinking, I just think it's kind of like cool that Zechariah was struck with dumbness and deafness, and neither of those are mentioned. That's here. exactly because. Wow. I don't think, I mean, it's like God couldn't do that because then Zechariah wouldn't be allowed in. He wouldn't be allowed to also. He wouldn't wouldn't be allowed out. What do we do now? You know, it's like it's the sanctuary is defiled, but it's not because God specifically chose two things that aren't the ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's shallow. I think no, that's very cool. Right. That's my wife. <laughs> it is. That's my daughter too. That's my, my sister. Nick said last night on this topic was that even if you have a perfectly symmetrical cohen. If his heart perfectly symmetrical cohen. Okay. If his heart isn't correct, it, it, the whole sacrifice and the whole system avails nothing. And you see that throughout the history Ellie's, of the Ellie's Jewish Ellie's mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So 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 even even the, the externalities aren't, aren't the point really of it's the heart of the individual. That's right. That's right. That's important. Well two things he still could eat the most holy food. Precisely. Which should only be done in there. So he's, so he's still in with everybody else. He just can't do the sacrifice part. Do you think some of these things are things that would come with old age? 
eye defect. Possibly. Um, yeah, I, I was looking at the eye deal. You know, with you know, you see somebody who's got one of those yellow things in their eye or a cataract or something. Yeah. I don't know. They had to retire. Yeah, I don't think any of it's natural. Yeah. The way that it's. In the Are you saying here. that the monobrow is not natural? <laughs> right, right. I think they're all like um, exceptions, right? Blemishes. We're just talking about the twenty-year span between thirty and fifty, anyway. That's right. Because once you're fifty, you're not going to be serving in the same way. You're going to be actually there. You don't do the sacrifice and stuff. You're you're like, okay, Jonathan, good. I like it. Just if you press this a little better, the belt will work good, and you'll look good when you go out. There. That's great, you know that kind of thing. Um, I do want I, I do want to you know just raise the point here that um, I don't recall reading anywhere in the Talmud where you had a priest that got disqualified because he didn't notice this or he didn't do something. I never read about that, and I want to make sure that we understand that mindset. I don't think the priest walking in was trying to get away with something. I don't think he was looking to shave the eyebrows so that he could do this. Do you see what I'm saying? Because I get back to your own stated understanding and desires to keep the commandments he said to do and to avoid actions that he said not to do. I think the priests were probably... You know, a half a step beyond us in that regard. And they're looking in the mirror on their way to work and going, well, what? I got some kind of spot in there. Sam, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be on the front line today. I'm sticking the back row. Okay, you sure? Yep, yep. I think they would pull themselves out of the line. You see what I'm saying? Because they are the ones that are responsible. They're the ones that want to keep the mitzvah. And to do this, to disqualify yourself. Yeah, they know what happened to, uh, yeah. to the family. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 That was one of my great, 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 great. <laughs> Smoking hole. Yeah, that's it. All right. We got to move on. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Okay. Yes, sir. I beg your pardon. Yep. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. I think we need to come out of the church and vote. We have a tendency to think that the father has to be fair. He doesn't have to be fair. He makes a ruling. That's it. You either do it this way or that's it. That's right. He never had people think he has to be fair. He doesn't. Yeah. He needs, he must, and he is just. Right. He's definitely not fair. That's exactly right. And it's a point our culture has a lot of problems. That's good. Excellent. I don't want fairness. Fairness is bad. Don't be fair. Okay, so I'm not trying to get the split eyelid, the wart, or the dry skin eruption, the moist skin eruption, or any of that. I was, uh, and the stuff that got squeezed, crushed, torn, or cut, I'm not talking about either. Um, I was looking for the, uh, the guy with the, that used the name bad. Where, where, is the, where am I? Real quick, before we go quite that far, just stop briefly in chapter 23 with all the festivals. 23, okay, I didn't get to 23 yet, that's good, but 23. It was pretty cool that you got to read uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Before you make your point, would you tell everyone, especially the folks in Gastonia that are listening from before? Mm-hmm. Um, or the people who weren't here. And the people who weren't here, but yeah, I'm assuming that they actually Ooh. read the portion. We did. What's so unique and special about Leviticus chapter 23? It has all the major festivals in it. So starting from Shabbat all the way through Sukkot, you get the whole 
God-ordained festival calendar is all laid out. God's calendar, and it is the only chapter that has them all in one place. If we go to Deuteronomy 16, it is unique as well. What have I got? You get the big three. The big three because they are the... The, the walking, the, the pilgrimage, pilgrimage festival scene. That's right. But good, this, good, good. I thought was interesting right. about this, and I would love to get maybe a comment or two from the, some of the particularly shrewd midrashic types here. Shrewd. But, um, wise. Shrewd, yes. Be shrewd as serpents and isn't as doves. They're both. My point is... Um, I thought it was interesting that it repeatedly says offering, 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 very generically. But then on the offering of the um, first fruits offering, and then again for Shavuot, God goes into some unusual detail. Okay, you have this many lambs, this hint of wine, this, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which is a detail you really only see in numbers. And it was interesting to me that out of all of the offerings, he focuses in this chapter, he focuses on the ones for those two holidays. I mean, you think that like he'd go into lots of detail about maybe some of the other holidays. I mean, we're going to get this later in numbers. It's not sure. like God has to make sure he says it. It's just interesting that he highlights those. It's like almost as though those, I mean, my interpretation, conceding to others who have more wisdom than I do, um, was perhaps... These holidays were were centric to the, the the offerings, whereas the other holidays have other elements to them that are more centralized. It's like this is like the highlight of each holiday. So the highlight of Rosh Hashanah is blowing the trumpets. The highlight of Yom Kippur is afflicting yourself. Highlight of Sukkot is this is Sukkot, and then with with these particular holidays, Shavuot and the first fruits, the highlight, as it were, is the offering. I like that. Yes, it's really cool. Um, the, the fact that it starts with. Uh, first fruits, Shavuot, and in the middle we have the counting and the counting of the Omer. One thing I didn't realize is that when it says, and you shall count Sephiratim, uh, the same word for Sephirat that is like to count the Omer, in Hebrew, almost the same word for um, Sephira, which is like sapphire. Uh, it, it's, it means right, to, to shine, be, be bright. Same reason. Hmm. And, and just like how the, the whole time you're counting the progression of getting closer to the mountain, right. and you go from Pesach eating bread of humility to all of a sudden the only time you ever offer any bread with leaven in it is is, is at Shavuot. Uh, so, so it's the going from something really humble and you have a, a barley uh, harvests, you know, going, going to the wheat harvest, going from being uh, re- redeemed from sin to now where your uh, th- what normally would picture sin is now is, is, is almost like it's being used in the service of God and that's like the example of a righteous person who can take sin, sinful desires and through and with God's help uh, make them subservient to God right. and so um, so, so that, that's the the upward pro- progression during this time period of counting the and being in between those two offerings. I would, I would go so far as to say that um, before I have a relationship with the Holy One, blessed is He. My sin is nothing but sin. But after my sin, I now recognize. I look to His Word. And he tells me what to do when I sin. And even the sin is now used to his glory because I seek to fix it and to do what he said when this happens. Isn't it interesting that the Torah was never made for people that weren't going to make mistakes? And it wasn't made for people that aren't going to live in a fallen world. It was made for both. Did I skip somebody? 
That was my son, by the way. It was. To add to that, or to a slightly, a slightly different drosh, is because we're going from Egypt, right, um, to the mountain, and the ho- the whole idea is we have. Um, we have physical freedom, as it were, here. We're no longer a free nation, right? We've left Egypt. But we still are carrying a lot of the inner trappings of Mitzrayim, and we see that as we go, right? You know, we're, mm-hmm. you know, the bitter waters, Rephidim. Wider! You know, okay. Um, but the idea is that as we are ascending to the mountain where we're going to meet God, God is going to bring revelation. Yes. Yes. Right? He did that in a very profound way at that time. 1,500 years later, he did it again on the same day with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? Shavuot is all about revelation, but in but the trek from Pesach to Shavuot is all about uh, that period of, of, of <coughs> introspection and reflection on our, in, on our own lives and and, and trusting God to help us um, go through the necessary character development, right? Mm-hmm. So that when we get to the foot of the mountain, we are in fact prepared to receive the revelation that he's got for That's us. Right. So humility is what barley represents. Barley was very coarse. I mean, it was basically an animal food, not really, not, you know. Whereas wheat, you know, is obviously definitely primarily for human consumption it was the you know all of the you know it was, it was the fine flour all of that and uh, so if we're only bringing leavened wheat loaves on Shavuot and that's the only time ever that leaven is ever allowed in the in the temple or the tabernacle one other understanding of that is leaven being of course normally a picture of sin or pride one other understanding of that is by the time we get, by the time we leave Egypt and we go through, you know, we we walk around in the desert and we we go through bitter waters and we go we, we get you know we get our nail you know our, our, our tails you know, kind of nipped by Amalek and you know all the things that happen to us, all of which are tests that are refining us. That by the time we get there, we're totally poured out, and the only pride we have is to boast. Mm-hmm. And I should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that that um, that that wheat loaf with leaven is a picture of zadikim. It's a picture of people who have gone through the refining process, the pain and the suffering that comes with that, gone through the sieve after sieve after sieve, and been refined down to the point that now when when that loaf rises, it's not the pride of of you know of of ourself or what we can do or what, it's yeah, it's it's what's our going to do to in us. the Lord. Amen. So that's another way of understanding that. But shall we say amen? Amen. 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 Good. 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 Oh, that was great. Okay, so where's the guy with the name? Twenty-four. 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 First ten. Twenty-four ten. Mm-hmm. My Bible doesn't have a twenty-four. Mm-hmm. Twenty-three. Uh, 24 10. The son of an Israelite woman. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So is he Jewish? 
by whose by whose standard? In this in, in this in, account, in, he does in this in this day and age, he'd be Jewish. You have to come from a Jewish womb to be Jewish. I mentioned before, tough question. Who's a Jew? <laughs> but in that day, it wasn't from a Jewish womb. It was from a Jewish father. Yes. My my translation actually says the son of an of an Israelitish woman. Uh, Mine too. Ish Israelitish. Israelitish. So you Jewish? Well, the, Jew. the tradition Ish. is the tradition is that his father was a convert. Really? Kind of. That he was murdered giving, by giving by bad was. giving no, a bad name to converts ever since. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they smooth over that little issue. He's the one that Moses hid in the sand? He's the one that Moses hid in the sand, yes. All right. So what do you got here? The son of an Egyptian man. No, no, where am I? Israelites. Yeah. He was the son of an Egyptian man among the B'nai Israel. They fought in the camp, the son of the Israelite woman and an Israelite man. So what's the implication there? What do you have in your English, in your version? Does it have the same kind of thing? Mm-hmm. That's that's making it clear that you've got an Israelite man and the son of an Israelite man. You see how it's it's juxtaposed? It's, it's supposed to make you clear, make it clear to you. You've got an Israelite and you've got a guy who doesn't appear to be an Israelite. He's if you were. There'd be no reason to describe him this way. I, and they don't I mention his name. Part, 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 we talked about this last night too. Part of the issue is that he was Israelite, he just wasn't a Danite. And that's the discussion here, because his mother is clearly defined as Shulamit's daughter as Divrei from right. Danite. She's, she's got the pedigree. Exactly. But, but, but since his dad was not a Danite, tribal heritage just passed on the side of the father. Right. So where does he pitch his tent? It's kind of the idea. Yeah. So the son of the Israelite woman pronounced the name and blasphemed. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things. So they brought him to Moshe. The name of his mother was Shalomit, daughter of Divri, the tribe of Don. They placed him under guard to clarify for themselves throughout another. I'll tell you a quick story. From this sort comes original United States law. And in the early years of our country, after the revolution, after it was ratified, all that kind of stuff, the Constitution's there, a man, I can't remember if it was New York City, probably, or Washington, uh, D.C., um, but he used the name of Jesus in a blasphemous way on a street corner, deliberately, and he was jailed. For taking the name of the Lord in vain. Right here in River City, guys. Tell your uh, liberal friends about that one. Who wants to comment on this? I can't remember if they killed him. I don't think so. But you know, that would have been really over the top. Yeah. Pete passed along a really good book about Uh-oh. crime and punishments, like these essays about it. Oh. Dostoevsky? No, there was a big thing on crime and punishment back then. Essays by different people. But the point, a lot of the, the common theme was the point of punishment, which is to have the biggest effect with doing the least amount to somebody. And I feel like that's exactly what this is, because it's like, you have a situation where you only want to kill one person once, as we were just talking about, and you never want to have to do that again. So how are you going to do that? But 
have them kill him. And then, you know, even this takes it even a step further and have them put their hands on him first. Like that, that's very unusual, I think, for the Torah. But um, anyway, I, I thought that was what stood out to me was. Well, the witnesses, like any trial that, that resulted in stoning, they yeah, cast the first stones. Yeah. That's true, but it, it seems like the, the, there's a step before that. I agree. The leaning on him is I like agree. Yeah, this exactly is like the goat. This is the offering. It's like the goat. It's the same thing as when you're going to ordain a man. You lean on him, you lean hands on him. That's shmicha. Shmicha. So, yeah, it's a unique deal. And that's got to make you stop and think, am I willing to do that? It's not like I can mail this in. I'm going to be a part of this deal. And I think that with this one, too, um, one of the core principles in discipline, we, Julian and I have been reading a book on discipline, never know when you might need that, um, <laughs> is that the, uh, it is important to know that you have to maintain consistency. What you say you do, you do. And I think that that's one of the things about God here is he said this is something you die for. So somebody did that, and he had to impose it. It's yeah. very unpleasant. Yeah. It's very sad. But it doesn't change that fact. And I think that that is part of the idea here is by doing this once. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's the same as the Sabbath, right? It's the same as the Sabbath. I mean, if you take the, the Big Ten, you've, you've got examples, I think, of most of them in there where we, we know what we're going to do or we've actually done it so that it doesn't happen again. How many of you, when you write the name of God, you torque it out so that it's not? I don't torque it out. Well, there you go. You don't. You actually write something else. Or you'll put a dash in and change it so it's a different word. You know, that kind of thing. It's just one of the ways that you can do that. Yes, ma'am? I just thought it was interesting, as we talked earlier with Tamar and Judah, there's things that seem to have been replicated even before Sinai. Right. Like they, like either they knew it or they knew it. I, I can't, how do you get to a different conclusion? This is bizarre. But this is one of the few times where, and a couple of times with Moses, he's put somebody aside and waited and asked yeah. God because they weren't sure what to do. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting. It's kind of one of those trivial things where it says they took him and cut us to do that the mind of the Lord might be shown. The two guys that uh, were carrying a dead body mm-hmm. right. on Pesach. He goes, I don't That's have a, a clue what to do for you guys. Hang here, mm-hmm. I'll go ask. The daughters of uh, Zaloka had right. That's uh, <laughs> there's, there's not That's many so examples, but it's interesting when there's a pause. And that, hey, yeah, we're gonna check on this and we'll be back. Yeah, this this could be big mm-hmm. or not, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Be right back. Yeah. But so you would think this they don't would jump be a to judgment. One. That's right. They're not gonna try and make it up as they go. I do think it's interesting that. This is the second time that we see. The first time, I believe, is when uh, who was present, uh, expecting the twins, and uh, she couldn't figure out what was going on. So, so she went to seek the Lord. And what happened? Who said that? Yeah, God told her. You got two nations going there. It's not just two guys. This is a big deal. Just. Wait for the mini-series. It's going to be great. <laughs> I, I think that's amazing. Now, that's sort of as an aside in that story. And then we've got it again, over and over again. As you pointed out, there's several times where Moses goes, i got to go ask. i got to go ask. Where does he go? Where does she go? 
Not just where does he? Where did he? Where did he, where did he, where did he go? Did he? Did he go into the tabernacle? Yes. Well, were we there yet? How, how's that working? We got the veils. Did that happen already? We already got that. Yes. No. Yes. So we were already past the mountain. So he's off with the veil. Goes in. Comes out. Says what he's supposed to say with the veil off, and then covers with the veil. That's a cool. The, the, the whole veil thing. We'll get into that. Um, we may actually have to have. Rick's little class on that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I would like to know what the difference is between blasphemy and heresy. Blasphemy and heresy. Okay. Who can tell me before we get into blasphemy? Who can tell me what heresy is? Heresy is good. Okay. <laughs> Cap- Captain Heretic, go. Me? Toi. Uh, diversion from orthodoxy. Something that's not orthodox would be unorthodox. Like the, like the Greek word where we get the word heresy was the word that they used just for the word sect. Because it's anything that's not orthodox. When, it, when, it didn't used to be a bad thing. When, exactly. Paul, when, Paul, when Paul is before a tribunal and they're discussing, I think it was Festus, and they were discussing the way, it I'm, was the sect of I'm a the sect way, of Judaism. the word from heresy. I, 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 uh, he practices a, in a sect of Judaism. Good. So what's blasphemy? Mm-hmm. Vilification of a name. Vilification of a name. Cursing God. Okay. Maybe cursing God. Anybody else? I think it almost even has a connotation of like taking something that is holy and making it common. Okay. I was thinking of use of the name. Use of the name. Abuse. Abuse of the name. Abusing. 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 Like like in the New Testament when they say he's making himself out to be God, that that Exactly. Exactly. So making yourself out to be God would be blasphemous. Because you're speaking as if you are God, right? Um, were they, were, and that's and that's that's a bad thing, and it's always wrong, except in the rare occasion where you happen to be God. <laughs> and and yeah, you know, we actually saw that come to pass. But that's that's actually what they got. Denying, denying God's spirit, denying His character, His power, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit one of His missionaries, you say that's not the rule of culture. That's I don't disagree with you, David. I just I want to be careful as we define that one because it's referenced in the apostolic scriptures, and I want to make sure we get that one right. But I think if I understand what you're saying, God obviously did this, God claimed he did this, and now I deny that it's God, Correct. that would be blasphemy, and Correct. I agree. Yes. And in effect, what are you doing? You are abusing the name in a negative way rather than a positive way. You know, I'm not saying that God did something that he shouldn't have done or that wouldn't have been just or would have been out of character, but now I'm actually taking something he did do and denying him that holiness, that credit, and that awe for, or glory for doing it. Good. This story actually, I think, casts a helpful light. Which story are we on? This, this guy here? This guy who gets huh? stoned hey. blasphemy casts a very helpful light on the question of the unpardonable sin 
Well, that's, which is, that's why I wanted to be careful. Precisely the passage that we bring that's up exactly here. Right. Because if you look throughout the Tanakh, uh, both in Exodus when it refers to he who uses my name will not be held guiltless. He's mm-hmm. used my name in vain, will not be held guiltless. We see again later in um, Psalms, it refers to those who take his name in vain. I think it says that they are the ones who hate you or something like that. And then we tie in with the spirit here. I think the idea then is there is like this... The spirit of... A God. Thank you. Let's let's make sure we know... We're talking about talking. God. That's it. Irrelevant. It is God. It's God. That's right. So we have this issue of assailing God in some way. This guy then curses using God's name. Um, and so when I say the unpardonable sin, it is oftentimes interpreted or, or potentially interpreted as this is the only sin that Jesus didn't die for. I don't think that's what Yeshua is saying at all, nor do I think that that is the context. But we do see from this, this is a capital offense. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's no forgiveness for that. You have to die. This guy could have, after he said that, go, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and, and so is God. Yeah. <laughs> and so, in that sense, what do we have the losers? <laughs> it is absolutely unpardonable. God will not hold him guiltless. Yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it condemns his soul. And the best example that I can give of that is Joshua pulls Achan. Achan does something similar. He does, he breaks God's law. He yes. has to die. He hides the but stuff Joshua, oddly enough, pulls him aside and t- asks him to confess, which is really weird because at this point, God has like, supernaturally set him out, highlighted this guy. He's the bad guy. Yeah, it's a little light thing. Yeah, so at this point, it had been really easy for Joshua to go, okay, everybody, pick up a stone on the take, count of three. Take him out. <laughs> but instead, Joshua says, now Achan, I mean, very, very graciously, what did you do? And Achan goes and shows them whatever else. The question is, why? Why would that even matter? And that, my point to, in this whole ex- explanation is, I feel like this is the casting light on the idea of blasphemy. It's unpardonable since it was a capital offense. You die for it. It has nothing to do with where you spend eternity. Your, your place in the world to come is not necessarily in jeopardy. And I think as long Paul, as you repent, of sure. course. And I, and I think that Paul speaks to this same thing. He says, you need to put this guy out. Joey Zaza. I mean, he's out for his offense, for his flesh. Let the devil get at this guy because it's better that he go through that physically than he lose his place in the world to come. Mm-hmm. Because maybe that'll bring him to repentance. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Good. All right. That was good. That was very good. Any man who will blaspheme his God shall bear his sin. And one who pronounces blasphemously the name of Adonai shall be put to death. The entire assembly shall surely stone him, ger and native alike. When he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. And then we get into murder for our... uh, Counselor in the corner. Okay. okay. Final questions before we break. Final comments. Where does okay, yes. Where does okay the related blasphemy unforgiveness? People who accept Yeshua okay, and then turn right around after a period of time and deny him, so that they become say Jewish way down the road because that's part I think it's four or five things you have to do to become orthodox you one of them is to do that you've already gone through this you've accepted him as your savior whatever and bam all of a sudden you say wait a minute I don't believe it anymore because you want to be part of this sect or whatever sure all right. well, let's, let's back up uh, to the point 
where Autumn is standing on the, uh, everybody look at Autumn. Thank you. Uh, let's, go back, let's go back to where Autumn is standing on our timeline from 1,000 um, uh, of the Common Era to now, 2,000 in the Common Era. And right about where Autumn is at, um, we've got some tremendous persecution going on of Jews. And then you get the hidden Jews, the Muranos. So, let me ask you, if, even over as, as late as here, if the Gestapo comes to the door, and at, you're, you guys are all Jewish, let's say, in this scenario, the Gestapo comes to the door and says, we're not sure, are you Jewish? If you are, we're going to take you to this camp and kill you. What is the right answer? I'm not Jewish. I'm Gentile. <laughs> but but see if it was the if it was something like do you believe in Yeshua? I think you should. Oh, no, say no, 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 hang on now. Let's Step let's, let's start Logic easier so that we can move to what Roger's asking. So you're the head of the house. We already passed that one. You answer the door. So so life trumps. And it's okay for you to lie and yes. say, I'm not Jewish. Yes. You're looking for the Jews? They're next door. <laughs> no, don't say that. That's terrible. <laughs> there are no Jews in this town. That's right. I can't remember the last time I met a Jew. <laughs> What's a Jew? What's a Jew? Well, really, who is a Jew? <laughs> are you Jewish? That's right. So, so that would be okay. All right, so, so now let's fast forward. Last time. Oh, it's not okay. I, I would What's say, okay? I, you know, we're actually. Hang on, I got it. That's not denying God. Why is it not denying God? It, it was just asking. So you would. Are you so now, the, yeah. the sages would say, relax, we'll work it together. <laughs> the sages would say that the Torah was given that we may live by it and that life trumps everything. Except. Except, denying. and we went through the three, not denying, but actually serving other gods. Well, it kind of, it's linked to blasphemy, though. Right. The sages do actually link the two. Okay. We're not getting into blasphemy right Just now. Because we're not doing blasphemy yet. So, right? Murder. Sexual immorality. So, if somebody says, are you, are you a Christian? You believe that it's wrong to say you're not. Yes. Okay. See, that's, so that's a different one. I said that's what I just brought up. Okay. It's than Jewish. It's different than Jewish. <laughs> well, it's an interesting. So question. if you're a Jew and they say, "Are you Jewish?" Yeshua told us. But wait, told us I what? guess that if we deny him before men. But I guess the other, the other element, though, like that, he doesn't like that to happen. Oh. But the other question. So is he, this. hang on. So he made new laws. No. no oh, it's different. He told us what to do. Here. Oh, he told us what to do. No, we're supposed to be persecuted. We're supposed to be persecuted. Yes. So if he says, you know, you believe in Yeshua, I'm going to say yes. Okay. But does you? Oh. So now. I think that's a different question than are you Jewish? Oh. Right. So, so do I. All right. Oh, so, all right. So, all right. Hang on. Hang on. I'm working. I got it on all four corners. Kerfuffle. All right. Let me see if I can work us through this. So, if I'm asked, if I'm German, it's okay to lie and say I'm Italian. Oh, yeah. If I'm asked if I'm Jewish, it's okay to lie. You don't like that. How is being Jewish different than, say, being Christian? Oh. So if you're asked if you're a Jew, okay, it's, it's not, 
a nationality. It's a religion. It's yes. a religion. Well, uh, so you would say, I got to tell him I'm a Jew. Well, I'm just, I'm just questioning. Like we're, on, on the wall, when we had the apostles, they were Jewish, but they believed Messiah, right? Okay, I'm so working with that. If you asked them at that point, they, they would have said, oh, yes, I'm Jewish. They would never have said Christian. So if, right. if you're going to say, I have to say, I have to say when they ask me if I'm Christian, I'm Christian. By the same token, since we're all leaders of Messiah and we're, quote, grafted in Jewish, doesn't that mean it's the same kind of question? If you, if, if you believe that you have to say you're Christian, if someone asks you, shouldn't you also say you're Jewish if you're asked? Okay, By the same that's a great question. So let me pose this question to try and bring some clarity. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's over here. That would be good. <laughs> Are you all that are in this particular camp and you know who you are. <laughs> are you all saying that there's actually something that I can say without using the name of God? We're not talking about blasphemy. I'm leaving that one out of this. Okay, so let's talk about this some other time. Are you actually saying that there's something that I can say and I will lose my salvation and spend eternity in hell and have no place in the world to come? No. Are you really saying that? There's one thing. There's one thing I could say. What is it? I'm not a Christian? Yeshua is not God? Yeshua is not God. Let's argue it. If I say Yeshua is not God, are you telling me now that I have no place in the world to come? I don't agree. Well, for saying it, is what you're saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So. Oh, oh, I just said it. Yeshua is not God. It's a word. Oh, it's a word. Hang on. I don't get it. Up. So I can I say it, but you're saying I don't believe it, so it's not really out of the abundance of my heart. You didn't say it with conviction. So I didn't say it with conviction. You see what I'm saying? If I say Yeshua is not God, well, do I have a place in the world to come? You wouldn't say that in this room. Can I just real quick, like, clarify here? We're trying to describe and discuss because I think we're getting way out of hand and losing track of where we're. I don't think so. The point was, you said Jewish, so the immediate implication was that was the same as faith. I think you were arguing before that that was ethnicity and it's different. Yes. So in this case, we're talking no, now, about denying God. Now I'm going to jump on what they're saying. Okay, so you're moving to a different argument. I am definitely saying, first of all, is there something, is it okay to lie to save a life? Yes. 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 Does everybody agree it's okay to lie to save a life? I agree yes. with that. Or is there some lies I can't say? Well, there are some lies you can't say. Really? Give me one. I'm going to put a bullet to your wife's head right now. What is it you cannot say to save her life? Is there more than one God? Is there one more than one God? No. You would never say yes? Can't. Really? I don't agree, sir. That's blasphemy. Really? You think that's blasphemy? If that's blasphemy, we won't argue that right now. If that's blasphemy, then I agree with you. If it's blasphemy. I think it's different. I think serve another God. But no, but that's, that's, that's why I'm trying to say is you kept mentioning three. Technically, the sages really do have a fourth category, and that's blasphemy. Okay. That's why there's martyrs. That's why when they pulled Akiva out and were burning him in the stake, they said, deny God. And his response was, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. So the point being is, yes, there is something I cannot say. Okay. So, to save a life. I'm going to agree with you. If that's the one thing... Well, not the only thing, but it's essentially that concept. Okay. How do we describe that now? Because there must be a list of what I cannot say. Is there? Well, I think if, if we look at what, what, what 
Yeshua says and weighs in on this concept of blasphemy. Yeah. So people are accusing him of being uh, working with the spirit of Satan. Demons and all that. Exactly. Yeah. So about a house about itself cannot be divided. If you say I'm Satan, but I'm casting out Satan, your logic eats itself. Yeah. The so point is, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven to the children of man. Uh, and whatever blasphemes they are, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And this is not in the red text. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. What right. calling what God has made clean, pure, yeah, holy? This is what David was saying. Exactly, as something that is of the devil, of yes. Satan. Yeah. That's that's the blaspheming right. part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's more or less the same. I mean, uh, well, I don't I don't know that that's more or less the same. Well, Hanukkah is full of stories of like Hannah and her four sons, uh, where all they had to do was just call. Antiochus, God, yes. and they didn't. Yes. They're brutally... So actually, in that case, even to the extent I think of eating pork, it was they had to eat pork. No, actually, that, the, the Hannah story falls in the category that Joshua... And that's actually, it's the, that's the... Those are the exemplars for Judaism's view of, of what Rabbi Akiva did, right. is that, you know, when it comes to denying God, that is, the, you know, the equivalent to idolatry. Right, right. So... Yes. Well, this is Luke 11, 8 through 10, which was part of one of our. It was. It was yeah. I think it was um, Luke 14 this week. 14, oh, 12 through something. But go ahead, read it. Okay. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before man, and Jonathan just said this, the Son of Man will also acknowledge mm -hmm. him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So, to that last point, you can speak a word against Yeshua, but not against the Spirit of God. No. That's what he just said. They are one. But that's what he just said. That's what he just said. You can speak against the Son of God and you'll be forgiven. But if you speak against the Spirit of God, you will not be forgiven. So back to David's earlier point about saying God did this and you deny it and say, no, that was actually a demon. Because that's those two tie back. And I think the reverse, right? So God doesn't do something and you attribute it to him, something bad. And, and you attribute it to God as if he's bad, that, that's a no-no. But I think he just said there that you could speak against the Son of God and it would be forgiven. How, so, how well, is it different from denying him, which was in the previous verse? You tell, you tell me. I mean, it was in the same verse that she read. So it must be different. So my point is this. I have no idea what I would say because... I try to be brutally honest all the time. But I can't truly say. My life is designed around protecting them. Well, yeah, right? So if someone were to come in and threaten them, I think I would do or say almost anything. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying as a man, that's, that's my dilemma. So I would love to know where to draw the line. Because based on that verse, I would have no problem saying things about Yeshua. Well, and Jerry just pointed out, I mean, Peter denied Christ. Exactly. 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 So it seems to me that what I'm saying is not necessarily the deal. So let's talk real quick about the Yom Kippur service. 
The Yom Kippur service begins with Kol Nidre, all vows, and it has changed of late, but it was originally designed for the people in the time frame where Autumn's standing on the, on the, on the timeline. <laughs> Everyone in Gastonia is wondering, where is Autumn standing? She's, she's, about, a, she, she she's, she's about 1300, you know, there So that, the Kol Nidre service was designed specifically for those Jews who were forced to deny God just to stay alive. And they made vows. And it came Yom Kippur, they started out by saying, if I said anything, God, please forgive me. For this past year, it, it wasn't intentional. It was strictly to stay alive. And anything I said is bogus. Had, it, really, it wasn't me. I wasn't speaking from my heart. I was speaking out of fear or whatnot. Now, I think you guys have pointed out the top shelf response. <coughs> the reality is we really should know the right answer and always say the right answer. But come push the shove, God seems to be, especially Yeshua himself, giving us an out, especially when we're talking about him, as Peter did. He will forget. Should that be your your normal first response? Uh, certainly not. <laughs> I was going to say. But if you blow it, I think you got it out. Well, this is what goes to my point earlier about the forgiveness issue, and I think this is a mistake that people tend to think they link forgiveness. Even your translation said eternal. Right. And I don't think it's actually there that word. Yeah. And that's my point: is saying that blasphemy is a capital offense, so it's unforgivable in the sense that you die. Right. It is not unforgivable in the sense of eternity, because right. as we see with Peter, and as we see with, I think, others as well, I would assume, that you, I mean, how many people have been saved right. from a life of denying God? Right. So obviously, if their previous existence as an atheist was all about there is no God, and then they change, then God doesn't say, well, man, sorry, I'm so you sorry. Yeah. You already you know, struck out yeah. three times. Well, here's... Here's, here's the, the, the way that I put it in my head, and it's always worked for me. Is there anything that I can do to earn a place in the world to come? No. 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 What do I have to do to have a place in the world to come? I have to trust in the finished work of salvation by my master, Yeshua. Somebody say amen. 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 Here's the question. If there is absolutely nothing that I can do to earn a place in the world to come, how is it possible logically that there is something I can do to lose my place in the world to come? I either have a place or I do not have a place. It is not for me to earn the place or to lose the place, provided I have the faith. Well, provided you're in the place. And I think that's well, I'm, I'm, I'm making that assumption. But going back to Roger's question, I think the question that is answered very quick, carefully by First um, John and others, because First John notes that there were some who were among us, and then they lent out from us to demonstrate that they were not really of us. And the point being is, I feel like when you have these illustrations of people 
who I mean, it's, forget just converting to Judaism. Yeah. How many, Any. how many people, uh, you know, convert to Islam? Sure. How many people convert to Buddhism? How many Christians then become atheists? You just walk away from the faith. So the point is that any time that happens, I believe it's a demonstration they were not really. I agree with you one hundred percent. Amen. We can't even know that they have a place in the world to come. Right. That's not my point. If you have the faith and you have a place in the world to come, because God said you do, and you have nothing to do with that. Is there something you can do that would remove that? I think I think there is one thing. It gets back to a thought I've had about martyrdom. Okay, when the final time comes and say the the Muslims or whatever are in control, you will give they'll will say to you, "Do you believe in God?" Okay, and you could yeah, I believe in God. And they'll say, "Well, what God do you believe in?" Mm. What well, makes a difference at that time? You're either gonna you're gonna make the right decision to say, "I believe in God." It's gonna cost you your head or whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll make the other decision and say, "No, I'm gonna take the, the stamp or the beast or whatever it is. I'm gonna have food for ten days, and then I'll end up killing you anyway." But you made the choice right then. Okay, I agree that in that one, that's the one we're actually I, given an item that we could do. That's the one I'm thinking. I think you're right about but that. That was right there in the scripture. I do feel like the people who make the right response were the ones who were always there in the first place. People who make the wrong response for yeah. the ones who weren't part of Well, that may be that the case. That is proof. But, but, but you're, you're trying to make the point that the people that have a place in the world to come never make mistakes. No, 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 no. People and, who and have a place the in the world to come don't make that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, will agree with, I will agree with that. That one thing. Uh, not something they say. Be your bad not fruit. something they say, but that one thing is one action that we know for sure is listed that they don't have a place in the world to come. They have no, no hope. Can we think about denying in the same way we think about believing? The devils believe in tremble. Mm-hmm. Believing in Messiah is not an intellectual assent Good. to the fact that it's believing with your life. Right? Absolutely. And by the same token, denying. Absolutely. If I say I denied that in a previous part of my life, or I deny that in a momentary lapse of confidence, faith, whatever you, right. or am I denying him with my life? Right. Matthew seven twenty four. Like Those who stand before me, Absolutely. how many of us have cast out a demon and yet he'll say, I never knew you. That's right. Like you didn't believe in me with your life. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking a more of an ongoing thing rather than a well, and, and, quick mistake. Well, again, to his point, if you say I'm not willing to give my life and I'm willing to deny him publicly, are you now denying with your mouth or are you denying with your life? Well, we don't know. But we know that Peter denied with his mouth. Well, did he deny knowing Yeshua, or did he deny that he was the Son of God? Which, go back to her No, he definitely denied knowing Yeshua. Yeah, he know, he, but he did not deny that he was the Son of God. Why did he deny it? Because he feared for his life. Exactly right. But we cannot say he denied that he was the Son of God. It only tells us that he denied knowing huh. Yeshua. He said, I'm not That's his good. disciple. That's good. And then to go back to verbiage and semantics, when she said, she quoted Yeshua and Luke. Yeah. Well, he said, you can speak against the Son of God. Now, is there a difference between speaking against him and denying that he's the Son? Speaking against him is one thing. Denying that he's the Son is another. Because earlier he talks about disowning, which is denying that he's the Son. Right. I like that. Interesting. I can work with that. So it's something good, to think about. Good. He usually well, very careful. You're exactly right. It is something to think about. And so let's let's give the top level proper response that we should give. 
just want to quickly, before we do that, I want to give one time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, listen. I just want to clarify earlier, according I had some people do have access to Greek. The word eternal apparently is in that forgiveness question. Is? Well, the ESV typically does translate accurately. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Here, let me back up a second. We're assuming that the uh, English translators no. were correct. No, I did. No, I checked it. In the Greek. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, I think we all know the right answers to give. We don't want to lie. We are not liars. Liars have no place in the world to come, along with several other folks, types of folks, that the world thinks are actually quite acceptable right now. Commendable. And even commendable at times. Rahab lied. I'm sorry? Rahab lied. Okay. Okay. What did he say? Rahab lied to protect the spies. Rahab lied. But again, we are... <laughs> we are we are continuing down the path. I love the path, but it's already three thirty-five. <laughs> now, I'm going to sit down finally in a moment. And if you want to argue this, that's what Shabbat is all about. I can't wait. <laughs> but we got for the sake of uh, those who have children and and uh, who desperately desire a. a uh, Shabbat schnooze will break. I do think that we all know that the best answer is always the honest answer. That the best answer is to certainly lift up and glorify the Son of God, Messiah Yeshua. Somebody say amen. 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 That's the best answer. Always. Now, your mileage may vary. (laughs) In certain cases, when put under the gun, and our, our, our sages of blessed memory dealt with this same problem, and that's where Colony Drake came from. They would deny the faith in some way, shape, or form, and it was strictly words to avoid something, some kind of badness. Is that right to do? I don't know. Like I said, if if I'm protecting this young one, I think I would do almost anything. I think I would say almost anything. Yeah. And I see that as a, a, a charge given to me by God himself. Joshua, One final, if I might. If we think about it also in terms of how the Lord spoke to Israel about when their sacrifices have become an abomination... I think the question becomes again the condition of the heart. Are you? Did you say it in the heat of the moment in a panic, and then a cold Deidre, right. or genuinely sorry, right. or do you begin to see cold Deidre as a free pass? Sure. And now and I can just deny it all the time. And, and to your point, David, that's exactly what happened with cold Deidre, and they actually flipped the service so that it was pointing ahead mm-hmm. to the next year rather than the year behind, right. mm-hmm. to give him a buy so that a Jew's word meant almost nothing because he literally could lie, because Colney Dre would get him out of it. And certainly, we're not talking about that. So I... Yeah. No, please. (laughs) Well, just this this is one teaching I had just heard about um, suffering in martyrdom. Mm -hmm. About, because Paul says, I think he's speaking to the Corinthians, about how you're suffering and you're dying, um, and his own suffering completes, uh, fulfills the work of Messiah. Right. 
and how it, you almost get the idea that Messiah's work, there's more to be done for it. And, and the point of the article I was, I was reading was that Messiah's work is, is full, but our dying uh, for him and our suffering for him are an extension of his work because he died 2,000 years ago and he died in one place. And so if we die or suffer here, people see it. And so it's almost like in like the like mega evangelism right. type right. We've got thing. more of it going on. Yeah. I, I think we well. have to really examine wh- what our standard is. Is it Stephen and the whole faith, you know, those who died for the name of Messiah and also or Col Nadri, okay, which is our standard. And I would subject Question. There is no question about that. Melanie's right. Thank you. There is no question what the right answer is. I just want us to be careful when we say, if you make the wrong decision, if you say something wrong, you're going to burn in hell, you've given it all up. I, that's just not what the Bible teaches. So I want us to be careful about that because in the heat of the moment, some of the most righteous people on the planet have made the wrong choice. Right. Amen. That's true. So, all of that to say that in the book of Revelation, it is clear that when the persecution comes, not everyone will make the right choice. Not everyone will get their heads chopped off. In fact, it's such a limited number that their souls are under the altar in a special place and they will get an unbelievable blessing. But there's still an uncountable multitude that make it through that time. And it's a bad, bad time. So let's leave with the understanding. We know the right answer. We should always be honest. We should always lift up the name. We should never deny him. That's really what we're called to do. And I think we see in Peter's life, he was top shelf after he denied knowing him. He was one of the most vocal, outspoken promoters of the faith. Sometimes, even though you know him, you have a a moment of weakness, and it changes your faith and makes you all the stronger. So, let us pray for no such times in our own lives. Amen. (laughs) And let us pray for the strength when the time comes to give the right answer. Amen? Amen. Amen. I did nicely. I like that. Uh, although I think that, for me, the the best part of our discussions are when we get into the sticky stuff that we never want to talk about. I love that. Because that's what it's about. Because these kind of questions should not be argued with the Muslim or the Buddhist. 
These should be argued in here so you know the right answer, you know the top shelf way. The arguments with them should be something completely different. Like who really is God? Right. Or is it possible that the sins of a people can be atoned for by the creator of the universe by one perfect righteous man? Those are good questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the strength to do the right and the wisdom to know when times are put upon us what to say. You made it clear in your word that at some point, perhaps in the past, certainly in the future, we will be persecuted dramatically for our faith. I pray that we would all give the right answer, including myself. Father, I I know that uh, what to say when we're brought before counselors and judicial proceedings and whatnot will be provided to us. But specifically at that time will be granted to us to grant a wise answer. The day-to-day normal stuff you leave to us. So I pray, Father, that you'd find us faithful to study your word, to show ourselves approved unto you, able to accurately handle the word of truth and provide an account for the hope that lies within us when we're asked. I'm grateful for all these, Father, for their obedience to you, their desire to please you. I pray that you'll bless them. I pray for those that are in tumultuous days ahead with weddings coming up and travel plans and inbound guests and all that stuff. Just pray that uh, there would be peace, tranquility, and not many hurt children. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Amen.